Welcome to The Row Show. We're your hosts, Lawrence Britton and Jake Green. And in this podcast, we're going to go into everything related to sport and performance. And we're also going to talk a little bit about rowing. In South Africa, it brings people together, it breaks down barriers. My passion, winning to be the best. Being the best is something we strive for. It's a crucial role in South Africa. Compassion, great passion, affection, ultimate goal. Glory, relentless training, pain, pain. Hello ladies and gents and welcome to another awesome Christmas special of the Row Show. As always, it's myself, Lawrence Britton, and with me, Mr. Green. How are you doing, Jake? Yeah, it's good. It's good to be back on the show and you know, recording um, you know, some some more podcasts for you guys. It's a December period. I hope everyone um around the world listening to this podcast is having a, a fantastic uh December period. And yeah, I mean, we've been we've been fairly busy. Lawrence has been working, you know, his ass off in the the carpentry workshop, getting you know his his work done before the end of the year, going flat out. And then yeah, I've just finished up a nice high altitude training camp at Delstrom, and we have a brief break to be with the families before, you know, we resume re- resume training again. So Jake, um, I know we often chat about this when we you know when we. Uh, in the years before when we've done December episodes, but what does your December kind of look like? So you were doing high altitude training. We all saw your um, takeover of the Lucerne Regatta page. Uh, so we really got a taste for, for the training that you were doing up in, up in Delstrom. Very different, not uh, rowing. I'm sure it was a bit, a bit strange not being on the water, but tell me what is it like coming off camp and then what happens to the team over December? Cause you go, you obviously all go back home train with uh and train with your your family and and spend some time away from the the kind of intense group environment so what does it look like at the moment these these last uh two weeks for you yeah so i've been i've been on my farm down in the eastern cape in south africa very blessed to you know to to live where i live and yeah we're just just taking some time spending with family switching off to a certain extent from like the the pressure environment and just you know that team training getting away from it a bit but yeah i mean we always always training you know december is you know basically a third through this third third through the season and it's a tricky period because it's a bit of a transitional bit period between the local racing season that starts in january so yeah i mean we're still training keeping uh keeping ourselves honest here and yeah we'll be joining up again in the beginning of january but for now just taking a chance just to enjoy a little bit of a break while maintaining, you know, a bit of physical activity, staying fit. Okay, nice. And what is your, um, if you could choose how you want your, your 2023 to go, what's your, what's your big picture plan? Obviously racing, do you know how many, do you know how many World Cups do you think you'll be at? And, uh, and what would you like to be racing in World Champs in? Well, um, we will probably be going to maybe three World Cups this season. I think we we are interested in heading towards the, the first World Cup this season instead of Peluco, trying something new, and then obviously Lucerne and World Champs. And obviously the big thing this year is um, Olympic qualifications. So, you know, for for the team, there's no, no doubt that, you know, the Olympic qualifications is going to be a big, uh, a big goal. And uh, the objective uh, this season is obviously going to be heading to world champs and trying to secure some Olympic qualifying spots, which has proven in the past to be quite difficult. We are well known for taking a long way around to get to the Olympics, as we both know very well. But yeah, that's yeah. that's um, that's what it's going to be looking like next year. 
I think, I mean, we've said it so many times, but that the qualification is probably one of the hardest things to, to get right in, um, in, in rowing or in sports, I think in general, getting those Olympic qualification spots are, it's a brutal process and you, yeah, it's, it's really, really challenging. So yeah, I hope you have a banger year though, Jake, and I'm sure all of our Rosho episodes will really, um, keep you in the game, head in the, in the zone and ready to, to race on because as always, we have such a good um, episode today, such an awesome guest, someone that we've wanted to have on the show basically from the, the beginning of the, the show, eventually getting him on and wow, what a what a guest and, and what an athlete to, to have a chat with. I mean, for me, it's probably, it's my favorite interview of the whole year, I think, uh, this episode with Istok. He was just unbelievable. And what do you think of it, mm. Jake? Yeah, I mean, like... Everyone by now knows uh, based on the title, we got a chance to speak to Istok Chop from uh, Slovenia. And I think in any rowing um, community, Istok is definitely amongst the legends of the sport. He's had such a long career and absolutely such a competitive athlete in uh, a multitude of bow classes. Um, are most famously known for racing the double with Lucas Spick, but also known for being an absolute animal in the single skull racing and some of the biggest names in the skull in the last um, three decades. So, yeah, it's he's he's a huge name in the sport and, of course, winner of the Thomas Keller Award for his uh, exceptional service to rowing in 2015. So I think a complete athlete, Lawrence, uh, someone that uh, the Row Show podcast is... I think uh, is a perfect place for for someone like um, uh, Istok Chop to come on and chat. Yeah, also because I feel like he was he's quite under he was no I want to say underrated, but he was you know he's he's not as necessarily well known as you know Mahi or some of these other uh, big sculling names or I don't know some of the other athletes. But when you go back and you look at these results from him, just unbelievable. I mean, six Olympic games. You know, he raced his first Olympic games in nineteen ninety two coming third in the in the men's pair and then it just kind of steamrolls from there up and up just more and more racing more and more results and you know very few big injuries and 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 big upsets but yo what a consistent athlete you know the number of times he's been on the podium at world cups and world champs in the the olympics is is something unbelievable and his last olympic games uh third in the in the men's uh, heavy double which is such a good race that race always comes up with the, the new zealanders having that huge sprint through the the field in the in the last uh, thousand meters and he was right up there um battling for that that gold medal so you know from start to finish an unbelievable career and then also just uh, an incredible athlete and and person to speak to so i yeah as i said this is probably my best episode of the year i had the most fun um, chatting with with Istok, we learned so much from him, and you know, just nice to to throw back to one of the older athletes that's done so much in our sport. So yeah, I mean, there's not much more for me to say about just go listen and and enjoy it. Really, hey Jake, any big one, any yeah. big ones that you you want to chat about? No, I think you know we've we've said enough about Istok. You know, he's he's been to Olympics many times, multiple uh, Olympic medalists, including a, a world champion. Um, in the men's double skulls in 2000. But, you know, besides that, you guys will find out more for yourself in the episode. And uh, just a little bit of housekeeping. Just, you know, if you guys want to find us, you can go find us on Instagram. And uh, we're quite easy to get hold of. You can message us on Instagram. You can email us. You can even uh, send us a, a message on WhatsApp. 
and of course a huge shout out to our patrons who have been um the absolute backbone of this podcast for another year and yeah we're very we're, we're very um chuffed to have you guys on board and the support you know we wouldn't be able to do the podcast without you guys so a huge massive shout out to our patrons mm. oh and then also at the moment we are running our 2022 awards so at the moment it's going through the patrons for them to nominate uh, boats, athletes, and, uh, you know, going through all of our topics and making sure that they nominate um, all the, the people that have performed this uh, this last season. Then once we have all the nominations, we'll put it to the, the public to, to kind of choose and, and we'll probably post that on our Instagram. So keep an eye out for that in the next, uh, the next few days. And then we'll have, have the awards and, you know, you know, the row show has the most prestigious rowing awards um of the year so you know oh, to, win a, to win a row show is is a big is a big win so yeah you've got to think carefully yeah. about your your choices yeah. awesome enjoy the show jake anything no i think that's it? it enjoy the episode guys all right ladies and gentlemen welcome to another episode of the row show and today we are joined by a very special guest is Top Chop from Slovenia. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's awesome to have you on. Well, thanks for the invitation. My pleasure being here. So we, we're going to start all the way back to, you know, your first Olympic campaign. And I think maybe not a lot of people will be that familiar with your first Olympics in 1992. It was in the pair. And uh, I found it quite fascinating because it was quite a quick turnaround from your juniors, you know, representing um, um, at juniors and then you moved after juniors, you sp spent a bit of time in the four and then you got back into your, um, into the pair with your, um, pair partner from your junior campaigns and you went, went on to win a bronze medal at the 1992 Olympics. So, you know, talk to us a little bit about that, you know, that journey, it must've been quite a big, um, you know, quite a, a quite a quick rise to be competing against, you know, the likes of. Uh, Matthew Pinsett and uh, Sir Stephen Raygrave in the in the pair. Yeah, well, uh, I guess we were quite fortunate, me and Dennis, that that's uh, that was my partner in the pair. Uh, as a juniors, uh, we we had in our club also Olympic medalists from the pair from '88, uh, a bronze medalist, and then from the Cox pair, world championship medalist from '89 and '90. So those were all the guys from our club. So we could we could actually train with them. Uh, compare ourselves to them. So it was not just jump into 92. Actually, we, we started to row together 88 as a junior B in the double. And then uh, 89, uh, I think few things quite uh, were quite fortunate about, you know, that was the first year that juniors start to race on 2Ks. Uh, and we trained with the seniors all the time. So we, we just went to the world championship. We didn't know what to expect. And as 17 year old, we won the championships. And the same thing happened uh, the year after. And training with the seniors, we actually know how to how to raise the senior level. Actually, the senior tactics we were not as good. So the first year junior, uh, the first year seniors, we were both let's say less than eighty kilos, and uh, we 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 finished second behind Vincent and Redway in ninety one in the world. So Olympics was for us bronze medal maybe at that moment we were not actually quite satisfied because we were hoping to <laughs> to attack uh Pinson and Redway for gold because we we beat them earlier in the season and uh so we 
actually bronze medal was something that we we thought that's the minimum that we can achieve but uh, of course naive as we were in 20 then uh, we had no idea what could go all wrong you know because everything just worked out until then and uh, when we looked back afterwards you know we were we were more satisfied than maybe right after the race but uh, when i look back now uh, I think that was quite a good transition uh, from junior to, to seniors and uh, also as juniors we were quite fast already then you know, we, we had times just uh, let's say 636 something like that on the worlds I think and uh, so that that make it work and uh, you mentioned the mm -hmm. four before uh, juniors we, we raced 1990 worlds in, in Tasmania and the Coxes four uh, we finished seven seventh uh, we had a lot of problems in that four you know just like we didn't get along very well so that was a problem but uh, when i look back now uh that was that was a pity that we didn't go on you know just uh after we were young me and dennis and uh, the other two guys uh when when there were problems in the boat we decided well we just have to go for a pair for a year after because less people in the boat uh, less problems that was our our decision then but uh, when I talk to the coach even today when we speak uh, he said he never saw any four running so smooth as as we were then when, when the boat runs but that were really rare moment that the boat actually uh, runs well so uh, but finishing seventh on the world as 18 years old I think we were we were satisfied then also. So I want to jump in though because the you know, you you straight away into juniors, straight away into you know senior racing and, and Olympic Games. But why? How did you end up in in a position where you're going to a junior world champs? You know, even at 17, is is young for for an athlete uh, to be going to to junior world champs. And how did you get into rowing and and start your your rowing journey? And when did you realize that you you had a, a bit of natural skill and uh, you know and a passion for for racing? Uh, well, uh, I kind of try all the sports that I could. And, you know, we had in Yugoslavia quite good system. In, in school, you could have, we, we had all the sports in school. You could you could have like uh, afternoon activities, uh, all the local sports. You know, you just got some guys from the local clubs or just some enthusiasts. They like sports. So, so they, they just ran this, this uh, after, after school activities. And I try basically everything possible. Uh, in sport, uh, track and field, handball, uh, football for a short time, cross-country skiing. And uh, then I tried rowing. I'm not from Blitz, so it was quite complicated to get there because I live in a village, so no, no public transport. Uh, but my father was a co-worker with my coach, so that, that's how I, I tried rowing. And at that time, I saw some guys uh, that were the national team members. You know, in Yugoslavia, that was a big thing, nothing nothing was even close to that level what I tried earlier and I said maybe if I have some talent and if I work hard maybe one day I will earn my my national team outfit you know that was my ultimate goal and uh, I was not I don't think I was born for it you know I was just just about to quit when I was 15 because the whole season I won no medal if I finish in top three only the first one one uh, got a medal you know for a kid it's very important to bring <laughs> home the, the medal so I remember that I did. I wanted to quit in the end of the season, but then I said, "Okay, let's go through the winter, see what's happened in the spring, and then I make a decision." And uh, in the spring, it was just different story. At the 16 with Dennis, we got together in a double skull in Yugoslavia. Then 
uh, we we did we performed quite well and uh, in the club was natural when you were big enough strong enough the last year of junior b you switched to rowing from sculling but we all learned how to scull from single to to bigger boat you know and uh, that was a natural thing so if you were any good you you, you switched to rowing and that's how we ended up in the pair and like I said before, first year two case, nobody know what to expect. Uh, I guess everybody else knew how to race 1500. Two case is different story. Uh, we never raced 1500 before, not much. Uh, so we we got this advan that advantage that we actually trained with with the guys that were on top of the world at that time. And I think we we learned from them a lot, and uh, we knew how to start, how to fight through the race, and. Uh, uh, I think that that was one of the things that happened, but at the end it showed up also that there was some talent also, you know, but, but mostly hard work and uh, pushing hard whatever we did, you know, either we ran around mm. the lake, ran the mountains, stuff like that, so it was interesting, interesting uh, type of training, but we were active all the time also, not just throwing, you know, afternoon all the time outside, you know, playing with friends or running around, so I think that that was just the lifestyle was was different and that helped us a lot through to develop through through our puberty and then was that all that racing in happening in blade or all that training yes most of the training we did in blade uh, we had no money to travel around there, i remember there was only one training camp in the springtime in march in croatia uh, that was it if you if you that was a privilege. If you were good enough, you you were allowed to go to, to that training camp, like 10 days training camp, but that was it. And uh, we could row in Blade since, let's say, late March until December. Then the lake was usually frozen, now not anymore. But the good rowing conditions, not so many tourists as today, so we could row in Blade and the nearby lake, Lake Bokin, you know, in the summer sometimes for a longer distances. Then on the east part of Slovenia, we have Maribor on the river, uh, so we could do a long distance, long distance training and long distance sessions. So uh, we, I think, we got good good conditions and everything is within two two hour drive from from our hometown. Yeah, and that must have added a bit of I don't know something to the rowing because I mean I raced in Blade in twenty eleven and it's probably one of the best and most amazing rowing venues I've ever been to. So you know just to have that as your home training is. Is must have just added a little bit of something special to to rowing. Well, yeah, I think it is a different if you row on a lake, natural lake or a man-made lake, because when when the way everything is straight, probably more boring than this. And uh, uh, I I asked myself how come I never get bored of it, you know, and also not rowing. But I don't know, you know, I just I I was able to spend days and days on the lake and never get uh, almost never get tired of it. Estok, I am really interested in your transition from the pair into the single skull. And I think what fascinates me the most is that you moved from the pair into the single skull in 1994. And, you know, you were still quite a, you were quite a young athlete. Um, and it sounds like, you know, I'm sure you did some sculling back home, but you were moving against a field that had the likes of Zeno Muller, Derek Porter, Thomas Langer, Yuri Janssen. Um, amongst others that were exceptional, exceptional, Vaclav Chalupa. I mean, it, the, the, the pedigree of single scholars at the time was incredible. And you had a fantastic season in 1994, um, picking up, you know, bronze medals at the first, uh, first, at the first World Cup, the fourth World Cup and the World Champs. And, you know, for you, that must have been such a, um, a cool year because, you know, moving from the pair into the single scholar by yourself must have been quite daunting, but then to have immediate success 
must have been very cool. Uh, yeah, well, uh, trying single skull was always my my wish, you know, just just to test myself once to see what can I do on my own, where, where do I belong, just just me. And uh, in 1994, Dennis uh, moved to States for the studies. And meanwhile, uh, I tried some other combination, nothing worked out. So through the winter, I already uh, switched to single skull. And before he came back, I did some racing. And it turned out much better than I expected. And uh, then I just decided to, to go on through the season. And uh, yes, after the World Cups, uh, I was surprised. But then, yeah, the, 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 the goal was to, when we went to the Worlds, to, to win a medal. Uh, and that was a, let's say, unique year since all three of us, Andre Williams, Zeno Miller and me, they were all, we were all the same year. We were all 22 at that time. You know? All three single skull medalists. So it was it was uh, uh, a good season. But when I look back, just the year after, you know, uh, I think I could win that season. But I just didn't believe that I can win, and I didn't know how to to win gold medals. So I was just trying to win a medal. That was my ultimate goal. And uh, at the end, we were all happy. But uh, let's say year, two years afterwards, when I look back, I still remember most of my my races. Uh, I figured out that that I could race much better, you know, and that performed since I, I think I I beat Zeno and and uh, Andre in the previous rounds. Mm. But okay, at the end, bronze medal was not was not that bad. Yeah, and then and then becoming a world champion, you know, at the at the age of twenty three, that must have been, you know, that was your first uh, uh, first time becoming a world champion. And, you know, that, that for you, you know, must have been a, an incredible result. And I'm sure to this day, you probably still look really, uh, really fondly on, on that result in 1995. Yeah, uh, and it was also a good, really good race. You know, when I look back, that was one of my, my best performances. And uh, I still, uh, <laughs> still remember almost every detail of that race, you know, mostly... Uh, that season, I raced uh, Thomas Lange for the first time. He came back after some some mm. pause for studying. You know, Thomas Lange, you know, the legend, already legend then. You know, so I had huge respect. And when I I managed to beat him in a, uh, earlier in the season, you know, I said, okay, this is one thing in my career I could always say. You know, I beat Thomas Lange. You know, once. Uh, but the, the, that race, you know, it was it was really tight field. I still remember Watzlaw was ahead and he caught a crap since I didn't know he caught a crap. I just know that we caught him <laughs> up. And I I remember that that what went through my head, you know, okay, he's finished, so let's let's attack now, you know, when we get close, you know. But uh, mostly uh, uh, Giovanni Calabrese, he was on next to me. And uh, he never beat me, so I considered him. He's not better than me. So and he ra he had one hell of a race. You know, I just followed him. I said, "This is crazy. This is we can't go as fast as he started." And I just followed him and said, "But if he can do it, I can do it since I'm better than him." You know, so mm. that mental <laughs> thing. If that would be maybe Lange on my on my side or or Yuri Hansen, I would just say, "Okay, you you're stronger. Just go away." You know, and. But uh, Giovanni at the end brought me in the position in the last, let's say, few hundred meters when I was uh, I was not able to to defend the medal. I just had to fight all the way through since it was so tight. And at the end, it turned out that uh, I I crossed the line just slightly ahead of everybody else. Mm. And so yeah, that that was sorry. That was also a big deal since that was the first 
uh, world championship title for for Slovenia, you know, in one of the Olympic events. So oh, after Barcelona winning first medal for the country, then also winning first world championship title. So that was big yeah. for them. And, and actually, you know, that's one thing I wanted to maybe briefly ask you about. Like, what was the impact of the, the breaking up of Yugoslavia um, into the, the, you know, the, the, the smaller states? How did that, was that quite like, um, did it affect the rowing to, to a certain degree? Because, you know, I'm sure competing for Slovenia those next couple of years must have been incredible because it was like, you know, the first medals uh, pretty much for your, for your country coming through. But how was that uh, the breakup of Yugoslavia? Did that affect the rowing that much? Uh, well, I think rowing of all the sports, almost at least, because we, we, we were used to, to train on our own in Blit. Uh, okay, the national team usually spent, uh, the whole Yugoslavia national team spent uh, most of the season let's say from end of May till end of the season, most of the team was in Blit. So what I missed a lot was a bigger team. There were only six of us left in the national team, four and pair. And uh, we were all from Blit. So we, we've been, we saw each other every day, two, two times a day, a couple of hours. So we were also a bit tired of each other. You know, that, that goes mm -hmm. 365 days a week. Small team is a, is a problem sometimes, you know, because you can't mingle among other, you know, with a big team when you're a bit tired of somebody, you know, just you just hang out a little bit more with somebody else. You don't even notice, but it's a lot of fun. So, so that's something that I really miss from from all Yugoslavia team. But on the other hand, these uh, emotions, you know, and that uh, national pride was really, really high. You know, uh, we really. We were really proud of our flag, which was not so so much earlier in Yugoslavia, you know, and uh, we felt like we really represent uh, a young country, new country. We, we kind of felt that this is our country, and uh, th this was the the big difference that I that we all felt uh, after the breakup. Mm. But uh, yeah. on the other hand, the yeah, big team is is always more fun and. Uh, more challenging and uh, of course more competition in the training uh, stuff like that that can be always uh, beneficiary so you mentioned in in 94 there where you like if you look back you think you you could have done a little bit better if you'd kind of expected a bit more maybe from you from yourself or you know expected to to go for that gold medal or the, those wins so after becoming world champion in 95 did you did that change your like outlook on how you raced or you know your perception of of what to expect when you when you went into racing like you say because we it's a topic that we kind of touch on quite a bit with people about like learning how to win and learning that you you can go out there and, and race to your your best and and to beat everyone and not just like oh I want to just make the podium or I want to make a final yeah, I think there's something you need to learn, you know, and uh, it's it's I think it's huge advantage if you are in a, in a group that that actually know how to win win the medal or win gold medal. Uh, I, I started earlier. Uh, I was fortunate that in, when I joined the club, when I start rowing in blade, uh, coach I would say coach, you know, already learned how to make uh, medals at the world level, you know, but. Winning medals and winning gold medal is another big step. You know, from finishing fourth to third and second is one step, and then finishing first is another step. And I was the one was breaking this wall, and I think that that was uh, maybe earlier uh, there was a chance when I looked back, but I was not aware of it. You know, and '95 changed a little bit, 
but then I think uh, later on, '97, from '97, I realized that actually I can be, I can be the best, the best in the world, you know. But uh, 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 so, so this is a process, and this is the mental thing. And uh, when I look back, let's say, for example, the cruise I raced, and if we go back to to the radio, you know, people sometimes say, "Oh, he was fortunate; he always won, even for for half a meter." Yes, but. <laughs> He always won. I don't think that's coincidence. You know, once, mm. maybe twice, but uh, but all the time, that's not a coincidence. Or somebody finishing fourth, like every single time, slightly. You know, bad luck, bad luck. No, it's not a bad luck. It's it's that mental thing at the end when you believe. And I think everybody who raced on that level remember the races or or know when you feel. And when you're sure you're gonna win, you know, no matter what's happening in the race, you're so self-confident until the the end that you're gonna win, you know. And that that not happening much many times, but uh, I still remember the races when I was certain that that we're gonna win or I'm gonna win. And uh, even it was if it was for the finish, I was always just confident that I just got it. And if I lost it, I knew always that I lost. And then moving to 1996 it must at the time it must have been a, a bit disappointing to come away with that fourth place at the olympics but it seems you know when you look at your results and and the career that you had after 96 um it looks like that result kind of almost catapulted you forward in in many in many respects to the the successes that you would find later on in your career and i mean what a race to be a part of we've we've spoken to zeno muller and Derek Porter, and uh, we we spoke a lot about this race in '96, the final at the Atlantic Olympic Games, and it was a very special race to watch. And I'm sure for you, it must have been a, again like a, a, an amazing experience to be a part of. Maybe if you, even if you didn't win the, the win the gold medal. Well, '96 was a weird season. Everything went wrong. So if I look back, uh, when I went to the Olympics, I was afraid that I'm not going to make it to the finals. You know, I was really not feeling well. Uh, it's not an excuse, but uh, my father died after one year of, 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 of a heavy disease, you know, just, just in the springtime. So I start wondering or questioning myself, you know, what difference does it make if I'm one second or two seconds faster or slower? I, I just did mm. my program, I did everything, but I was not not into it. And after winning the Worlds earlier, you know, I, I saw the difference between gold medal and uh, and just the medal, let's say this way, you know. So I was kind of, uh, I felt like I probably can't win, you know, and then, then just, just winning a medal was not such a huge motive. Uh, that just I'm just saying that. I changed my mind afterwards, you know, but but that was the season that I actually I was not into racing that much. So at the end, finishing fourth, yes, I was disappointed after the race, of course, finishing fourth. Uh, but uh, but uh, when I draw the line under the season, you know, it was it was uh, it was quite okay, even better than I expected. But yes, that was the first season that actually in that season it was the first time that I. Finish the any race off the podium, you know. For first three, let's say three seasons or first four seasons in the in the senior category, I never finished any race uh, worse than third place. So so that that season was the first time I finished fourth uh, in the CERN and also the, the Olympics. But uh, if I look back with today's experience, it was not such a bad bad performance after all. Is talk I you know the single skull? It seems there's like a special 
you know, there's a special um, camaraderie between the single scholars in, in, in world drawing. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on like getting the opportunity to race against the, um, some of these guys, like, you know, we've spoken about Zeno Muller, Derek Porter, you know, Thomas Langer, absolute legend in the sport. And at that stage, he was going for his third, you know, third gold medal. And, you know, just are there any, you know, are there any insights into racing against such these big names? And, you know, do you think having such strong competition, you know, so early in your career uh, was actually in a way an advantage for you to be able to kind of like push yourself to the top of your game? Uh, well, definitely. Uh, like I said earlier, you know, I had huge respect uh, for Thomas Lange, you know, because he was, he was for us from from the other space because we were racing in a pair, so a bit different than than Redway, for example, because we raced Redway or our colleague from the club raced Redway. You know, I still remember the first time I, we were nineteen, we raced Redway, and with Dennis, we said when coming to the start, we said, okay. Nobody else beat him from our club, you know, everybody just told us now you're going to see, you know, how <laughs> racing looks like. I said, okay, let, let's kick his ass, you know, yeah. stuff like that. You know, you're just naive, you just, and then later on, you know, you, you probably won't get them, but uh, we were always together in the in the hits or, or the semis, you know, with Red and Vincent. And I'm sure we were, we were annoying to them. Uh, you know, we were just young, we just wanted to race flat out every race you know yeah. you just want yes you're gonna get us but you're gonna work for it you know <laughs> so so that was the approach and racing i still remember racing lange for me was like wow with really huge respect not in the start you know i just said okay let's go and we see what happens you know but for me it was like a privilege that i can race lange or even my first race i remember in duisburg in a single scale 94 racing Václav and being just one or one and a half length behind and I was surprised and I said wow I'm I'm really close to to one of the best uh, rowers in the world you know and then year after that Thomas Lange racing him and uh, Derek Porter so for me was that a bit different than Zeno because Zeno was my age you know Zeno was Zeno was growing up with me or he was also Dennis's uh, schoolmate in Brown so so that was a bit different you know that was yes respect as a good rower but but not such a racing the legend and for me beating one of those guys was also a, like a big big uh big thing in my let's say in my 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 career career uh achievements you know beating Lange that, that's one of the or beating Radio being just close to them you know this is something that you can that I said, I can tell my kids, you know, these, these were Olympic champions, but I was really, really close to them or I managed to beat them once. So you can see what level you were at one point. Then going forward, and like from the 97 kind of season, your results changed quite a lot. Like beforehand, you were doing, you know, one or two uh, World Cups and then, you know, the World Champs, whereas we feel like from 1997, you basically raced, every single race that there there was out there you know you just were all the the world cups so from 97 to 2000 you only missed one of the world cups so you raced all of the what is it 15 world cups and the three world champs and the olympic games and you know and you only missed the podium a, a handful of times the, the through that season and you kind of over your career you carry on racing a, a, a lot each season 
So what changed in 97 to, to kind of encourage so much racing? And how was it like going through and, and going through each season and, and racing kind of every opportunity that you got? Well, 97 was the first year that uh, started, I think, the World Cup for, for all the Olympic, Olympic boat classes. That was the first year. And uh, I won the first World Cup. And then, then I really wanted to, to win the overall, you know, because like you mentioned also later, we raced all the World Cups, but never the same, the same boat. With Luca, we always did at least once. We raised the single skull. And uh, even though, even if we raised the, the double skull in the season later for the Worlds. So that season, not just the, it was a demanding season. Uh, I were, I forced uh, my coach to let me race all the World Cups, but in between we raised Mediterranean games and some other things that I, I didn't want to race, but I was at the end, they, 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 they made me to race. And then uh, that, that's why I think I was just uh, empty on the, on the Worlds, you know. One thing was that I won all the World Cups and then the World Championships. I got nothing to gain. You know, I just I I was the best through the season, so I could just prove that or just or lose that. You know, there was nothing nothing to gain, and I was emotionally a bit empty then and uh, physically also a bit too tired. So I had ups and downs through the championships, and uh, unfortunately for the finals, I was spent. So I didn't I didn't finish the way I, I really wanted to. Uh, but I learned a lot from that season, you know, and uh, it all started, I think, in 96 and then it, it lasted for another three three years, um, finishing fourth at the Worlds every year. But that was not actually the the fourth place was uh, uh, something not satisfying me, but uh, there was a lot of things uh, going on. I, I guess I was a little bit tired after years and years of rowing, something needed mm. to be changed, and, but I was just thinking... I'm too slow, I need to work more, I need to work more than I was serving the army also. So a lot of problems, a lot of things was happening at that time. You know, you're in, in the personal life transition. So I was kind of tired of rowing, uh, didn't know what to do with myself to, to quit. Uh, on the other hand, I didn't feel like I, I achieved everything that I, I could. So I think that, that that's that's the main reason that the next couple of seasons were a bit ups and downs until '99, when things just, I would say, by accident fell together again. Yeah, and actually, I, this is you know this seems to be a massive point in your career, and it's funny listening to you talk about those years because you still had four Olympic games to go through, which is which is crazy, and you know, 1999. You, that was the first time you got into the double with Luca Spick, and that that turned out to be a, a, a fearsome combination that you would spend a large part of your the rest of your career racing with to multiple you know Olympic medals. And straight from the bat, it must have been quite magical getting into the boat with Luca. And we actually looked at you know we looked at Luca, and he he seemed to be quite a formidable. Scala, even at a, a school, uh, you know, even as a junior, he's, he must have been absolutely crazy, crazy fast. So it must have been quite, uh, quite magical getting into the double together because, you know, you won your first race at the, uh, the second World Cup. And then for the second time, you, you became a world champion in 1999 in that double. So it must have been quite a refreshing year. Yeah. And uh, if I 
tell the story, you know, like I started earlier, you know, that was, it started the worst, the worst that it could, you know, I, I had to serve the army because I was, I always postponed serving the army. We still had to serve the army at that time. And I was 27 years old when you have no chance to, to postpone, you know, the service. So, so I had to join the armed forces in, in February. And uh, then they, they forbid me to, to train inside, you know, so I was really, really tired of everything. I was earlier after three seasons, you know, not being happy with myself, not being happy with everything, a bit tired of rowing and everything. Uh, I was unable to train. So actually, if anybody served the army probably knows that that's really for me, first few weeks, complete waste of time. You, you're not allowed to do anything, you know, uh, there was a lot of snow falling. So I, we were locked in for like two weeks. I couldn't train. I couldn't do anything. I just got fat, you know, because every, every only social thing was uh, either I would smoke or I just was in cafeteria eating chocolates and drinking coffee. You know, that, that was it. So uh, after that, uh, when I was unable to train, I actually realized that I really miss rowing. And at that point, rowing didn't become something I have to do but something that I'm actually privileged that I can do it and I can do it pretty well, you know. So that switch in mind and uh, after, let's say, four months in the army, so things sorted out and I was serving, serving basically in Blit. So I was able to, to start to train normally. So after two or three months of not doing anything, after two weeks of normal training, I was faster than ever. And then I start to, to realize, you know, and talking to some other people, some other sports specialists, realized that, that actually uh, resting is a really important part of, of training. I mentioned before, mm. I was just the slowest I was. I was just trying to do more, 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 and I'm more and more tiring myself. So when I was refreshed, I was faster than ever. And I still remember going to the first World Cup at that season, I think it was Hasewinkel. Like I said before, I was sure that I'm going to win and I won easily at the end you know it looked that way uh but on the other hand yes i had luca in the club he won the first junior medal i think with at the age of 15 or 16 in single skull and he was really on my neck all the time you know he was really coach just said okay stick to Eastock and don't let go and <laughs> that's how he rode you know so he was <laughs> really fast and we did just one outing i think one outing a year year earlier or two years, I think 97, one training and then race Pideluco and we beat Abanyale and uh, Satori, you know, so that <laughs> we won Pideluco race and we just, at that time we realized that that boat has potential. So, so uh, that year we just had one week of training, won the World Cup, then I, I, I wanted to do single skull in Lucerne and after Lucerne I got I got sick again. I got this uh, herpes, so I was not allowed to train for about three weeks. So I just started to train two weeks before before the Worlds. You know, so we just came to Canada without any idea how fast can we can we go. And uh, after the hits, we were sure that actually we can go pretty fast. You know, and also conditions were in our favor. So uh, that was one of most joyful joyful. Uh, Worlds for me because I was relaxed. I had no expectation. I start enjoy rowing a lot, and I think that was the big thing. And Luca, Luca really refreshed me also. You know, when I said before, I was a bit tired, uh, a bit older, and Luca with his energy and uh, his let's say 
crazy, 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 crazy personality at that time. And mm. he really repaired the boat. And I think that that worked really well, that I faced him a little bit and he, he refreshed me and the combination was really, really good. Yeah. And then, you know, the the double took off, you guys were world champion. And, you know, the, the next year um, you went on, you know, you raced the first World Cup and doubled and you doubled a little bit in the skull again. And then the Olympic Games comes around and then, you know, you find yourself at the top of the podium. And I think every rower's dream, you know, we spend so much time uh, obsessed with the Olympics, living our lives in these four-year cycles just to win an Olympic gold medal. And, you know, you find yourself at the top of the world in 2000, winning um, your Olympic gold in 2000. And what's really interesting about this is that you actually, you know, you beat... Um, you beat Olaf Tufter from the, you know, from the Norwegian, um, from the Norwegian double. So, I mean, that must have been a pretty good result. And of course, Frederick Beckham. So that looked like it was quite a, quite a mean race. So, yeah. What was it like becoming Olympic champion? Well, not easy. That's one of the, the toughest season I think I've been through because I was aware of the, of the situation we're in, you know, I was aware that uh, I have a really good chance to win Olympic gold medal. Uh, I was aware that probably this is the only chance in the lifetime. And uh, on the other hand, I was also aware that I think if, if we finish second, that's going to be, that's going to be, let's say, uh, we're going to lose, you know, if we win silver medal, we're going to lose because we never lost a race in double skull until then. So. Uh, losing at the Olympics w would not be the the right moment to it, you know. And uh, and uh, I was really really under pressure, not because of expectations of anybody else, but myself. Uh, and I I was really relieved after after that, you know. So I still remember what at what time in the race or what moment I was sure that we got it. But uh, it was one of the toughest races. I think the toughest uh, until then, you know. Uh, in double skull, but uh, mm. yes, at the end we were both really relieved that we we actually managed to uh, to win that gold, and uh, especially for me because I had ups and downs already in my career. For Luca was only the way up, so maybe he was not realizing at that time. But I was I was well aware because I went through through good and bad times, and uh, I really appreciate and I really enjoy enjoy that that moment winning that gold medal. And I mean, you guys had a really really good race in that final. You know, you you uh, you lead the race and uh, and kind of goes to, to clockwork. So and you just mentioned there, what what point did you did you know that you were going to win the race? Well, it's not far before the finish line that there was a small channel some some stream was coming in under the under the the grandstand i i always remember i watched that that on my right hand side and that was like 10 15 strokes before the finish line and we just we had still one one length advantage and that was the the point that that i actually was sure that we got it and uh uh because uh, norwegians were always really really fast on the second part second part of the race you know they, they were a bit slower starter but then they just building up building up our race was different you know we we just start usually quite fast and then try to to keep the pace you know even uh so uh they were pushing harder than ever before and uh we were aware of that and at the end 
it, it just end up the way we wished all the way through, you know, all the way through the season that we were. Going forward, you you then go back and spend a lot of time in the in the singles. So this is kind of where when we're looking at the, the results and we're looking at the research, we're kind of like trying to piece together the story and, and how it all un- unfolded. Because how come you then uh, went from, you know, rowing the you know, Olympic champion double to, to rowing back in the, in the singles? Uh, <laughs> that's something I was probably not understood you know very well also in my in my club you know the coach was going crazy and I think he had gray hair but probably lost a few hairs just because of me but uh, <laughs> yeah uh, after after winning that gold medal just just winning was not was not uh, the challenge for me anymore actually I won everything or I won more than I expect that I can win in my life you know because I I didn't start sport or even earlier you know i never i never had the goal to win olympic gold medals they just came step by step to to that point uh but i always wanted challenges you know i just wanted to to try new things and i wanted to go back to singles color said just for one season because i finished as fourth on the worlds i want to to win to 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 finish my singles color career in the in the medals again so that, that's how i came i went back to single and then just decided from year to year basically every every spring we, we were deciding what to do and um, I think that was a good thing because in a small team me and Luca we were basically nobody could challenge us for for the seat in the boat you know we were we were uh, we were better than than others so if we would decide in the in the autumn we're going to do the double that would be it we, we would be easily in the double because we we, we click together better, we work together in the boat better, and individually we were better than, than others. So uh, so I think that that could be a, a little bit uh, too easy for both of us to, to go to be a bit too relaxed. So it was always an open, open hunt for for uh, for for boats in the in the next season. And if you are number one in single scale, you got the right to to make a decision what you want to do, you know, especially in a small team. So sometimes I could push a bit a bit further than I could could be able to in a big team where where you can just be be replaced. But in in my situation I knew that if I decide to do single nobody else can do single. In and case I'm sure. the best, you know. So 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 I had to work hard to, to beat Luca and that was not an easy an easy task. No, it, it wasn't, but that was actually a really good stretch of uh, result uh, for you in the single scale. You didn't miss a, in, in, in all the races you did in the single scale of that cycle, you didn't miss the podium once. So, I mean, that was, uh, you, you obviously were, were feeling very, very strong at, at that stage, racing in the single. And then, you know, what, when, was the, when was the decision made to switch back into the double in 2004? Was that, was that to, you know, attack the olympic to try and you know win win the olympic gold again yeah i think i was a bit tired after three years of single sculling again you know a bit tired of single skull uh and uh i had to make a decision my coach made me to make a decision in the in the autumn and then i decided to to go back to double skull i just didn't feel like i have that freshness anymore you know and i was i was always already over 30 and uh, I had to to work smarter also, you know, that was one of the challenges because I knew I can't work just more, more, more to be faster. I just need to gain to gain somewhere else, you know, in technique or better stroke or more rest or whatever, you know. 
So uh, then I I decided that uh, I will I will try to to qualify in the double. So okay, Luca with some other partners they they, they qualified on the Worlds in two thousand three. So I said okay, I will I will race for for a double spot. So we 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 were we were back together in the next season in a double spot. Yeah, and then what was that? What was the the Olympic Games like that year? I think uh, you know you you actually we looked you spent a lot of time racing the that French combination. I just uh, I can't get their names off the um, Adrian Hardy and Sebastian Villadent. It seems like you raced them. A, you know, it seems to be like a good rivalry between your two doubles um, for a couple of years, and that that looked like it was you know the you know quite a big race between the two of you in Athens. Well, at that time, that season, Italians were f- way ahead of everybody else, you know. Sartori and Galtarossa, they were, I think, seven, eight seconds on the first World Cup. And then second World Cup, we, we came to two or three seconds, something like that. But uh, that season was really, really weird season, you know. In the in the springtime, Luca, Luca injured his knee. So he, he missed a lot of training he did in March. He, he, he torn his uh, ligaments. And then after, uh, just before the Olympics, like three weeks before the Olympics, I got Legionella, you know, so I was, <laughs> I was in my bed for 10 days with 40 plus degrees. And uh, actually, I thought the, the Olympics are over, you know, so uh, Luca, Luca already trained with, with a spare guy. And uh, the morning that we left to Athens uh, was the first morning after 10 days that I actually woke up without, without temperature. So I actually board the plane and fly down to, to Athens. We, we really work. Uh, doctor is still nervous still today, you know, because I was on, on antibiotics racing under that. But uh, fortunately, I didn't know what was wrong. You know, she didn't tell me. She told me like years later what was actually wrong. But uh, uh, I didn't fail any week. So, so we raced and uh, the, our main target were Italians and uh French actually beat us. We we were not completely focused on French double, but uh, even if we were, I don't believe that uh, we could beat them because they really, they really showed the uh, the finish the way the that the, their pair uh, performed four years earlier in Sydney. You know that long, long, yeah. long finish, like mm. hundred meter jump thing. Oh, that's very good. And I'm I'm interested. But if the doctor actually told you what was wrong with you would that change your mind or changed your your decision about racing i don't know i would probably be more scared or if she if i would be aware how serious it is you know that maybe in my brain i would start thinking well i'm not as strong as i, I was you know that that takes yeah. something away from me and uh, and also she i i said she said you were as a doctor, I was in really, you know, in huge dilemma. Should I let you race because you were on, on the uh, antibiotics, or should I, or should I stop you? You know, and I said, well, I had a friend in Yugoslavia team. I said he didn't spend the day. He was also a good rower, but he was always on antibiotics because he was always ill. Something was wrong with him. I said he always. He said, well. Don't you remember how nervous I was? She was all the time, all the time on the on the bank and uh, with me. And uh, I think at the end, I was really under a huge pressure. That was that was real relief when we won a medal. And uh, but I think she was 
even more relieved at the end because she she's more aware what 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 could happen you know uh because of my situation but uh i said well maybe it was better i think it was for sure it was better that i was not aware of 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 the situation i was in yeah i think definitely and then you know following following that 2004 olympics 2005 looked like it was quite a special year racing at gifu in japan because that that year you actually doubled up in the double and the quad and not only you know did you catch uh to you win a silver medal in the men's quad you managed to become world champion in the um in the men's double and that must have been a really fun year especially with the doubling up i mean how how did the how did the decision making process come along with uh that quad and it almost it almost looks like you know you'd race for 15 years now in the in the senior kind of field you know was this kind of just a year where you just enjoyed rowing a little bit more or you know tried a bit a few different things you know you rode the double the quad and the single throughout the the season well remember earlier i said it was always finding new challenges you know not just yeah. winning a gold medal was not was not the need, not the goal anymore you know so that was the season actually in the winter i would try to qualify to winter olympics so i've been cross country skiing the whole winter <laughs> oh, i see that <laughs> So yes, I was just doing ergometer twice a week for like 40 minutes. So I was just because I realized that my wrists are becoming weak. I could not throw normally because my wrists were not were not were not strong enough anymore. So I was I was most, spend most of my time uh, on cross country skis. And uh, but uh, at the end, I refreshed myself again. You know, uh, I I learned new things about the training. I I think I. I managed to 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 transform some of the the knowledge I got uh, in cross country skiing into the rowing, and uh, I when when I sit in the boat in March I was just hungry to row again, and uh, mm. that was I think refreshment, and uh, it was a moment that actually four of us really good good scholars uh, turn out, you know, two good doubles, and. Uh, I asked Luca if he's into it, you know, to, to try to do that. And especially the other two guys who did the quad with us, you know, they were stronger than me and Luca. Uh, and uh, physically they were stronger. Uh, so uh, when they, when they said yes, for me, that was the final decision. Yet again, coach, coach went crazy, you know, because he knew what, what's on stake. We can, we can just, uh, we can lose both medals, you know, we can lose one medal, but uh, the season in double skull went so so smooth. My original plan was, okay, it's post-Olympic season. In the quad will be maybe just 12 crews, so we can qualify directly to the finals. But I was so wrong on that one, you know, so <laughs> bad conditions, bad weather conditions in Gifu, they shortened the, the program for one day. So we had to race all the races, all my all our opponents from double skull were in the quads the, the year after you know so uh but uh it went okay you know coach coach set up the really really crazy crazy goals in the quad if we want to race you know first first regatta in germany we raced i think ukraine and czech uh, number two and number four from olympics the year before and he said if you're not going to win the project quad is over so we won that one then we went to the world cup and he he demanded us to win at least for one both leg, otherwise the project quad is finished. So mm. we won one both leg, one meter at the end, and uh, <laughs> uh, it was really it was really joy and joyful, you know. And I think we could 
with all the respect to the Polish because they were a really good crew. But uh, me and Luca, we were really tired, but not experienced on that level. So I was really pacing myself um, first half of the race, and then I realized that actually I will, we will last to we can we can go f- for it, you know. And at the end, we were like a meter too short for winning a gold medal. But it was it was great performance, great experience, and uh, I'm really even today. I'm really sorry that one of those guys quit after that, you know, because uh, of some not not being appreciated in the club. So so he decided to quit. Otherwise, I think we could we could go on and uh, make a good story with that quote because we mm. were really really strong guys and uh, three of us could throw the quote. So I think that combination could could even improve with with some seat changing in the boat. And then you know you you get back in the double. Uh, continue your guy's success, and um, it seemed to be that that must have been some of your your best racing in those next couple of seasons in the double. And then it comes around to two thousand and eight, and you're going to your fifth Olympic Games, and you know by that stage you're quite a experienced athlete. Um, and obviously the Olympics, it seemed like it, it, you guys had some some struggles there. Kind of going in and f- finishing sixth must have been a bit of a difficult result to. To take back to, to take back home in in Beijing, especially considering you guys were champions the year before. Um, so, what was the you know what was the the Beijing experience like for for you and Luca? Well, probably for both of us, that was the worst worst Olympics, you know, uh, because every race or, or even the worst championship, you know, because I always look at the race what I what I was able to do at that moment and how I performed, you know, if if I'm well aware that I'm not in, in, in conditions to, to race for gold medal, I just try to do my best. If, and if I perform the best I was capable of, that I'm happy. And uh, the Beijing was everything but that. You know, we were, we were still, I still remember training sessions in Beijing. We were one second slower than our four, you know, on 500 meters. And at the end, four, four, our four just missed the medal. We, we finished six. I don't know, just... It just didn't work, you know. I don't know. Was the stress, the expectation, the whole season was uh, was never running smooth. We had ups and downs, good sessions, bad sessions. We were never constant like before, you know. We always we we didn't have uh, this oscillation in the in earlier. So so that one was really I was really disappointed at the end, and uh, uh, just because of that, because I knew physically we are much stronger that we were able to to win the medal probably not a gold medal i was pretty sure that Aussies were were ahead of everybody else at that time but we could fight a medal but uh, the boat just didn't run and uh, we were just trying uh, to move it but uh, it didn't work you know we were just forcing everything and at the end uh, the result was as it was so that was my disappointment not finishing sixth but uh, not not uh, not performing the way that i think we were capable of um, yeah, and it's it's you know rowing is it's an interesting interesting sport like that you know there's the ups and downs and along the journey there's there always seems to be that those mix of you know good results bad results and in a way the bad results are the you know when you, when you look at that seem to be the ones that propel um, the person forwards and then coming coming around to you know your last Olympic cycle you decide to give the the Olympic Games another go and um, you know we. One one thing I want to chat about is, you know, in 2010, it seems like you, you took some time off, but 
one really interesting race is that you decided to get in the double with Olaf Tuchter, which must have been a very exciting opportunity. And, you know, I'm sure you guys were good, are, are good friends. And, you know, what was it like getting to race for, um, for Norway? And I don't know if it was, because it's listed here as Norway. I don't know if you guys, it was composite or whatever, but how, how did that end up happening? And, and that must have been a really fun experience. Uh, with Olaf, we raced a few years earlier already in Duisburg, in Essen regatta, just for mm. fun. We sit together and at that time, both really ran smooth, you know, it was really fast. Uh, then the season 2010, yeah, I, after the Olympics, I took year by year. Uh, first year I, I was in a quad with the young, with the young guys. I just want to pass some of my knowledge to the youngsters and it was really refreshing because I was under no no pressure for result and uh, 2010 in the springtime i already decided that i'm not going to to the world championship because it was too late and i had my my work i always started in in october with my gym with the rowing gym in in our capital so i decided i'll do that and i also on the other hand i said after almost 20 years uh, a year off you know of uh, racing will do well especially uh, relaxing emotionally you you really you really rest i was working out normally so then i decided we had a world cup in my home lake you know i said i saw i knew that, that the rules are loving that we can we can sit together in the boat with olaf but yes it was a bit embarrassing that in my hometown in my country we were, i raced for norway you know but that was because <laughs> Yeah. Coach did everything he could to to prevent that. You know, he didn't want to 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 sign us in. He he refused to to accept Olaf into the club. You have to. He had to be officially the club member. I was club member of his uh, of his home club. So Norwegian said for us it's not a problem. You know, so uh, that even the night is too short if I would go through everything that 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 was happening then. You know, and. Uh, it was really tiring, and at the end, I think also that showed in the boat that the boat just didn't run. And uh, uh, like Olaf liked to say, we rode like shit, you know. But <laughs> at the end, it yeah, the, the boat just didn't didn't go well, you know. But uh, it was good experience, and uh, yeah, I'm just sorry that I had to go, or we both had to go through all that troubles for nothing because it was just a show. We didn't harm anybody in Slovenia because we just. Uh, I didn't interfere in anything because I was out of the team at that year, so they could just let me let me let me race normally. And uh, the same thing happened later the season. I don't know if you're aware uh, in Blade International Regatta during Kiwi Kiwi was were in Blade for training camp. Uh, Hamish was injured, so I sit in the double with with Eric, and we did we did regatta. It was the same problem with the coach. He refused uh, that he tried to forbid us to race, and at the end, uh, coaches coaches sit down, and then it was they decided that we can race, you know, because it was just the fun and just part of the training. So, so that 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 race was fun, and uh, at that time, I think I realized a bit more why why Kiwi Fair is as fast as as it was. Yeah. <laughs> what did you yeah, what did you what yeah. did you figure out? Well, Eric is really. I was pretty sure that Lucas, Luca, that you can't get a Bowman guy on the bow uh, much better than Luca, or even better. I was so. I mean, with Luca, we just clicked together from the first 
time you sit in the boat and then okay we had better and worse moments but more or less we just naturally fit in together even if it doesn't look from the outside but with Eric is I don't know maybe also his power his his patience at the catch and his acceleration through the stroke I just I just felt that I'm I just need to take care of the rhythm you know it was the boat was running so smooth and uh, that that Kiwi style you know it's just being far behind on 500, you know, and then at 1,000 meter, you're already ahead of everybody else. You know, that was that <laughs> fun, fun couple of sessions we had together and, and that racing. So, yeah, I think his style in the pair and the bow and the, and the bow in a pair can really, really, really make a boat fast because he's patient. He's not moving the boat like you can if you're sitting in, in the bow in a pair, but uh, not moving left and right, you know, so just accelerating but straight up uh, straight straight line so i think that that's a huge contribution to the boat speed that's mm. amazing that's very cool and then this olympic cycle like 2012 must have felt quite different for you because you know obviously you've now rode longer than than most people and i mean the people you were racing back in uh, you know early early 90s none of them would be rowing, rowing anymore yeah and um you know, what is it like going into the, you know, racing the season where, or racing the cycle when, you know, you, you've been rowing for that many years and, you know, you kind of understand so much about, about rowing and about the sport by this stage? Sometimes I think you and I understood too much, you know, I was aware of <laughs> every detail that can go wrong, but with, with the, you know, like I was explaining earlier when I was 18, 19, 20, you know, we just were we're not aware that what can go wrong, you know, that small detail can, can just stay or thing ruined. But, uh, okay, if I just ignored uh, some embarrassed moments when I couldn't recognize my opponents when we were in the bar, you know, the, after the race, <laughs> the evening, you know, because these young guys, you know, for me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we raced like three times in a week and then, then in the bar, I don't know who that guy is, you know, so yeah. uh, that was a bit embarrassing. But uh, on the other hand, yeah, we... <laughs> We we had uh, one one of the things that I kept on going was also the home home championships. That was one of the things that I I wanted to do. Unfortunately, we were not in such a good conditions at that time with Luca, so we finished fifth. Uh, but uh, if we would won, then I would probably retire. You know, because I said, okay, if if we won a medal, if we won gold medal, then this is it. You know, just better stop on the top. But. Uh, but then I decided, okay, this is it. In Bled, I said, okay, one more year, finishing the Olympics, and that's it. Because I, I said before, before that after after uh, after uh, Beijing, I was just doing year by year. But actually, that that's not that's not a serious thing. You're always thinking, okay, you know, there there's something in the back. You're not hundred percent focused. And then when it comes to racing, if you know how how you race to win medal or to win gold medal that's a different story and I knew that I'm not 100% in it and uh, that's why that's why after Bled we sit down with Luca and we decide okay I, I decided I will do just one more season and a London London race will be my last race and uh, we also analyze everything just the two of us what what's all wrong because we didn't row well the boat didn't move so we actually 10 months the last 10 months we we just work, work change the, the the work 
we train a lot with the young Croatians then the quad where the also the Sinkovic brothers were in Damir Martin so we were like like uh, they were our training partners and uh, we had good fun good trainings and uh, I think that 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 make a change that we actually work on technique uh, we work uh, with our doctor a bit more so we didn't lose a single training sessions due to the health problems uh, for the next season so we really really moved our 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 uh, our work to another level i think and that that paid off at the end in in london mm, and it's actually it looks like in a result that you know that it was it was a lot of um it seemed to have been like a, a real fight to to almost get that result and again i mean you've been part of some spectacular races and that doubles race in 2012 is ridiculous we did a we did an episode on our podcast talking about the best sprint finishes of all time. And that was number one was the, it was the 2012 race um, in London. And, you know, you guys actually looked on fire and, you know, I know you guys came away with the bronze medal, but that was such a good race. It, I, I lo looked like you guys had such a good race and you must be quite proud of, you know, all the things that you had faced up until that point, making the decision to go to another Olympics with Luca and then, again you know at at 40 years old standing on top of the podium i mean standing on the podium with the with the bronze medal well i was i was really happy at the end you know after the race i was satisfied with everything luca was not uh but then it came me back because uh yeah like i said before we really put into that season like 110 percent. we really worked uh uh Every 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 session was was analyzed. Everything we did was uh, step forward, and uh, we were in better shape than ever. The, the last results before London were were better than than ever before. And uh, for me, if somebody would offer me bronze medal before the race or before the Olympics, I would sign immediately for it. You know, <laughs> at the end, at the end, that conditions are still bothering me, but not because I won bronze medal, because. That was my last chance to see what I was capable of doing and what I did in the last or what we did in the last ten months. You know that I don't have the the exact uh, the exact feedback on that, but uh, drawing the line, I think that was a good performance from us. We were especially surprised on the on the first race that when we just went away from everybody else. You know we didn't expect that and. Uh, and uh, we just have to expect, accept the fact again that we are in the in the game again for for not just for the medal but for the gold medal, and we just kind of forgot about that for the last four or five years since we were not there anymore. And uh, and I think we did we did our best. We raced like we the best we could, but uh, yes, some different conditions, and of course. Uh, FISA not not using the rule that that they have that uh, line line changing you know so that that's a little bit bothering me but uh, not because of the result could be the same but because I'm not sure where I could be you know like mm, yeah. probably guys that were in worse lanes they asked that they could complain even more I think that the, the GB nobody's talking about them but GB double was was performing really well but at the end they spent too much uh, to stay to stay in front of the field but uh but that what like you said top finishes like we said crazy bastards kiwis they didn't yeah. perform that that 
that type of finish the first time they did that couple of times and we know that's gonna come and just we, we just could not respond or we just didn't <laughs> get uh, enough enough advantage uh, to defend to defend our medal you know because it looked uh, like they they started sprinting from like 700 meters to go it looked like they're literally going absolutely ham yes and uh, i think we all knew that they're gonna attack you know <laughs> but uh, that's it you know you know it's coming but you you just have no no power no strength anymore to 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 fight back you know so uh, but yeah with all the respect that's uh, that really really good performance but i mean uh, it is from from outside looking through it's such an awesome way for you to end your your you know professional career as a, as an athlete you know you've you've done uh, six Olympic cycles and you know to finish off with a medal is still uh, you know right up there on, on every athlete's uh, dream if you had to look back is your is the gold medal still the is that the best race of your of your kind of um, career uh, from emotional part definitely because I was I think under most of pressure at that time because like I said before, I was aware what's on stake and what the opportunity is. And if I'm not, if I'm not uh, grabbing it, I will probably be sorry for the rest of my life, you know, but uh, just performance, I would go either Tampere 95 or, uh, or Munich 2007 when we won, when we won the gold medal the last time in, in Wituka in double skull. You know, that was one of the races when I was sure that we're going to win it. And when I look at the video after the race, you know, I just saw how close it was, but I was really confident, confident that we're going to want it, even though that bet between us and number four, I think was just two or three meters difference, you know, but uh, all on the line. But with, when you know the boat is running well, when you're confident in yourself, in your partner, and you just know that you got something extra for the last couple of strokes, if you need it and, you just use it and uh so that that's one of the rare races that the only thing that i miss from racing at this kind of races you know when you really feel strong <laughs> when you're you're exhausted but you know that you got something extra and this is this is something that was worth working for years and years you know just for that kind of moment mm. that's awesome that's such a good answer the and the other thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, now that you you're not a you're not racing at the elite level, you you help uh, Felipe with their product testing. Just give us a little bit of kind of what that entails and how involved you are and and kind of because it's such an interesting job and I think a lot of rowers. I mean, we all spend a lot of our time thinking about the the boats that we're rowing in the the equipment that we're using and how it could be better or or you know or or changed and you know you are sitting in the in that seat you know thinking about that and and making those changes what is what is that job like well uh first yes i i love this job you know okay the, the season is really tiring if you would ask me probably two weeks ago i would say oh gosh you know i'm tired i just <laughs> i want it to end but uh just I need to explain a little bit. I I'm Filippi dealer for over 20 years already. You know, so I work with David or even before David's father Lido. Uh, try to to change some things, but not not the boats because that's not my thing. That's the engineer thing. But the approach to to testing to stuff like that, as already as an athlete and also as a representative. And then when I retired. Uh, 
we we made even earlier you know we we kind of really get together and uh came to the conclusion that i tried to to get more more top athletes to to test with it you know i said no not to row i'm not forcing anybody i just need need boats and i need uh uh people to to test the boat you know so uh i've been all around for a couple of years mostly with uh with around regattas talking to the athletes talking to the coaches uh, try to organize some training camps uh offer boats on tests stuff like that and that's how things start to to develop you know so we really grew and now my i still do that but uh mostly i try to to take care of of our athletes and not just the athletes also some not just top athletes i would say other users uh mostly we advising what what type of boat what model would be best for them you know what kind of rigging you know i try i help with with rigging the boat so i know much more about boats and rigging and everything now than i did when i was racing you know and sometimes mm. i just think maybe if i would know know that but on the other hand maybe better that i didn't know yeah. <laughs> that i was not aware of that you know but uh, yeah <laughs> i just I'm really familiar with our boats you know I I think I understand uh, also the designs now so when I see the boat I can really the new model I can really evaluate what kind of athlete can can fit in that model and uh, how big the boat is and how it works so so that sometimes it's quite helpful that's what they told me that the clients that that for easier for them to to decide to choose or to be more patient when testing some models you know because some models take more time for the athletes to get used to it because basically what fits you in where you fit comfortable from the first stroke on probably that boat is not offering much speed if it's very comfortable it's it's mm. maybe a bit too too big for you or maybe you know uh, too much drag so always have to find a compromise between the 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 skills and the, the speed that offers and the, the the comfort you're in so it depends yeah. on the athlete the rowing style everything so uh, i like that kind of tests and discussions with with our clients well I, I couldn't imagine a better a better person to be helping you know people out there with the the choices around uh, their boats and, and whatnot so this talk this comes to the end of the interview and we we actually have a set of questions we ask every single person that's come on the podcast um and they're called our quick fire questions and the the first question is if you could race any boat class at the olympic games what would it be uh, either pair or the eight pair or the eight what an, you want another crack in the in the men's pair to see what you see what you could do yes uh i i just like to row in a pair maybe because i had no chance after i switched to single scala i never had a partner that we could race again but on the other hand, uh, good team, bigger team, bigger the team is, uh, more fun it is to 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 row in the boat. You know, the team 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 boat is always more fun than, than small small boats. And then our next question is that if you could choose three people from any time anywhere in the world to race in a in a quad or a four with, uh, who would your three crewmates be? Oof, that's a tough one. You know, that's I was fortunate. I raced with a good team with with Mache and and Alan Campbell on the on the force head, uh, and some. I think that that would be a good team, and if you put Luca in it, it would be good fun and good good speed. You know, oh, but that's also awesome. the quad, the quad, the quad we were in. You know, we, with the guys here from Slovenia uh, in two thousand five, we had a lot of fun, and that was really really 
football tomorrow night. Like I said, I'm sorry that we couldn't go on with that because I would really like to see what what potential we have. Mm. And the next the next question is, what is your favorite rowing race that you find yourself watching over and over again? It doesn't necessarily necessarily have to be one of your own. Although that's kind of hard though, because usually we say it doesn't have to be one of yours, but you've raced most. <laughs> yeah, you've raced a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so it will be hard to choose a, a race that you're not in. Yeah, but I actually I never watch rowing races. Only if I if I see like coming, you know, not not that I would look for it. You know, it just if something happens, you know, that that they that they show that race. So uh, I I don't know. Maybe it stood out. The one I really looked on the internet for was Lucerne Championship when uh, Perti Karpinen won with like 20 seconds behind and then just coming in, nobody know what's happening. And uh, I think it was early in the 80s, you know, that that was something that that really impressed me. Uh, so that was that was one of the races that I just didn't know, a completely different type of racing that is happening today. Really nice. We'll have to go. I'll have to go back and, and have a look yeah. and see. I don't know if it's a race that I've watched. The, the next question is if you were in charge at world rowing, what would you change? Whew. World Cup, World Cup uh, profile, World Cup system it would be more World Cup races, maybe different type of races, uh, different uh, distances, but definitely would be, would be more fact and more, more racing. Yeah, I think that's something that would be great to watch, actually, because I, I look at other sports and it seems like the the amount of competitions in other sports is, is way higher. And as rowers, I feel like we train so hard. Like, you know, think of how long a rowing season is when you start training and the opportunities that you get to actually race are, are actually quite lower. So it'd be great, you know, to, to race so much. Although, like, there's obviously a lot of fatigue that comes with that. Um, yeah, I think we should accept that racing could be part of the training like cross-country skiing for example you know all the team sports you know but uh, uh not just you prepare yourself and then you test what you did in the last three weeks and then you test again you know but uh i think that just just change the mentality and at the end you will have the crew or the person that's the best at that moment winning the, the race and maybe make it the re progress system for the world cup races a bit a bit more simple so you don't have to do Four or five, even five starts in for just in the one weekend. You know that that's very demanding. The next question is a is a fan favorite, and uh, we've got the the we have an ergo ladder here. We ask everyone what their best two uh, k time is, and we've we've slotted them down on uh, our Excel spreadsheet. So the uh, question all is, all our guests, and our question is, what is your PB for the two thousand meter ergo? Five forty nine. Yeah. That puts you, that puts you just one second behind Damian Martin. You are uh, with uh, Philip Doyle, Brian Volpenheim, and Sam Locke from Australia, all on five uh, five forty nine. Um, so pretty pretty good company out there. Yeah, seventeenth place, but we've had quite a lot of interviews, so it's uh, it's really good though to be with Brian. I think that's uh, very respectable. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, if I tell the others that when I won the single skull championships, I was on six oh four still on ropes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. it's 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 funny because like Zeno also he, he 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 when we spoke to him, he took a lot of pride in the fact that you know he wasn't necessarily the strongest, 
um, Urukula out there and he was, uh, you know, absolute demon on the water, despite the fact that he wasn't necessarily as strong. What I enjoy is that uh, people still they put a lot of weight on Urgo, even though he's chatting to or he's speaking to people that are, you know, Olympic champions and, uh, and multiple Olympic medalists and world champions. And then they're still like, oh, the, what's the Urgo? What's the Urgo? <laughs> Mm. And I feel like once you once you've uh, yeah once you've been the Olympic champion, it doesn't matter what the what the number is on the erg. Yeah, but people like to ask that. Actually. Yeah, that's something so, they can compare to. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's what, uh, quite a special thing about the the ergo is that it's so comparable. You know, mm. under fourteen can look at the numbers of a of a you know a senior athlete and and you know, can completely relate and understand how fast that, that athlete is. Mm. The, the last question for quick fire is if you were to choose a different sport to go to the Olympics in, uh, what sport would it be? Well, I tried cross country yeah. skiing. <laughs> <laughs> how close did you get? Uh, not very close. It actually, I started that after the, after our Olympics. So in, in October, and uh, I should make a qualification through the winter. So maybe if I would go for another season because uh, I didn't have enough mileage, but I, I, I didn't want to quit rowing for that. You know, I, and I didn't want to push just to be at the Olympics. I said, I want to perform. I want to be uh, in top two thirds of the competitors, not, not just being last yes. or three last, you know, so, so yeah. that was my goal, but uh, it didn't happen. Yeah. Maybe I started mm. too too late because I had that idea ten years earlier, but it just didn't fit in. You know, but then. No, definitely, and you know what, it's like that actually brings us to the end of the interview. But there's actually one more thing I want to ask you about, and I, I we forgot about it. And I feel like it would be a crime to forget to ask, and uh, that is that this year you actually did an exhibition race after World Champs, you know, for to honor Andre Sinek's incredible career. So, you know, chat to us about that. What was it like getting back on the water? And uh, throwing, you know, throwing a a, a big sprint, a, a five hundred against some big names in the in the single skull. <laughs> yeah, actually, it, it was fun, but it was really serious. You know, racing these <laughs> guys is never okay. We, we had fun. We, you know, all the story. Everybody, every get everybody get back into boat because of that. Okay, Olaf was in the boat all the time, but everybody else <laughs> get back in the boat. You know, Ellen had them rip. Uh, a stress fracture because of heavy training, you know, and being not fit. Uh, and uh, actually, whoever watched that, you know, when the start, after of the start, you know, we were just mentally back into the game, you know, <laughs> physically not even close to that. And uh, mm. I was so so afraid of the rest because I knew I'm gonna just gonna go out, and I know I can I can do that for let's say 20, maybe 30 seconds, and what happens next? There's still more than a minute to go, you know? There's no power, no nothing. I try to, during that that, that sessions, I've been training the last week and in, when I was there in the world, you know? I was training and I tried to figure out what to do to rate or to do long stroke or whatever, and nothing works, you know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I tried everything. I, I was pretty confident that I can still, my goal was to go under 140. And uh, when the race was on, that, that goal was easy to achieve, you know, so we were just 
flat out all of us, you know, and it was it was good idea, great fun, a little bit course was a bit too long, you know, I would prefer to be <laughs> that is fantastic. It was out of the boat, yeah. But, yeah, and Campbell was definitely Campbell took some liberties on the start line there. He, he yeah. kind of edged up a little bit. That's the it. one thing. The lining up was atrocious. <laughs> the lining yes. was bad. And I I looked at some of the scholars. I don't know if you were the one of them, but some people were down. They were like like this. And I've always got yeah. a because in, in South Africa sometimes the lining up isn't always great. So yeah. I my approach is always it's your responsibility <laughs> to make sure it's fair for yourself. <laughs> Yeah, right, you know, but it's a teaser. You want to be ahead, not because you want to gain something, but just to tease everybody else. Yeah. You know, just want to be ahead. It's a mental thing. And I remember, I listened. I, okay, that's one thing, you know, that with the, with the referee on the line, you know, he, he could just set us off when, when, there was a, when, when we were lined up. But I was in lane one and I listened to, I heard the radio he was on and they were telling him, we're not ready yet, TV is not ready yet, you know. And when I heard on, on the on the radio that okay we are ready we knew we're gonna go I want to move forward but I was in the buoys because the wind pushed me in the buoys <laughs> I couldn't move forward otherwise I would be a oh, of hell again. Oh. yeah because just just a teaser but that's part of the game you know yeah, you want to to steal something in case you can but I think uh, it, that, that was fun you know it was such a good track, you know? It was such a good idea from from whoever came up with that idea and World Rowing to to put put on that sort of event because it just kind of added that little bit more to to our sport, you know, to to look there. And I'm sure a lot of uh, young uh, young people were watching that race, going, "Oh, I wonder who all some of these names are," and and going to look and and going to watch some some racing and learn a little bit more about our sport. So I think it was an incredible thing to do. And yeah, well, yes, I I think we should thank the organizer. Okay, the Czechs. I think that their idea and they pushed and at the end the world rowing that they actually allowed to do that in the yeah in the race time, almost in in the racing time. You know, so. So that I think at the end turned out good for for everybody and uh, also us. I think it might it might made us go back into boat and do some racing, not as single scholars, <laughs> but as a maybe great eight again or some quads mm, or something. Yes. You know, like races like Henley, the the river skates, or maybe head of the trial stuff like that. And we all we all figure out that this is something we. It's time to, to do it again since I didn't race for almost ten years. You know, just I did mm, one head yeah. of the Charles since I retired. That was it. I didn't miss racing, but after this, with a good fun, you know, you can imagine one week in Prague, uh, it was a good fun. So that <laughs> racing at the end was tougher than it looked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Well, I think that kind of wraps it up for us. So we just from our side a huge thank you to for you to, to just give us a bit of your time and, and, and tell the stories of your, your rain career and what a career it was. And it was really special to, to hear you talk about all the ra racing and results that you, you've had over the years. So thank you very much. Mm. Well, thank you. It was great chatting with you also and go again through, through everything. It just, just remember a few things that I thought I already forget, but uh, yeah, just flashbacks from season <laughs> to season. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, thanks again for inviting me and having me. Cool, so that is a wrap for our Istock Chop episode and as I said right at the intro, um, I said this was a banger episode, this was one of our best of, of 2022 
and I'm sure that you are sitting there in your seats uh, listening to the, the end of the show and, and agreeing with me because that is a perfect Roadshow episode and yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Jake, what are your, your big takeaways from old Istok? I think for me, the thing I, I appreciate the most from is you get a sense, you know, he's, he's, he's a very, very humble man, but you know, his sheer competitiveness in rowing is, is crazy. Just speaking to him about repeatedly going back into the single skull and racing and, you know, you know, racing against some of the biggest names we've had in the skull over the last like 20, 30 years, which is, which is crazy. So yeah, I think he's definitely up there with probably the most like performance orientated athletes, just sheer competitive athleticism. And, you know, his, his successes in the double with Lucas Specht, obviously they, you know, go down as one of the, um, the more uh, famous double combinations in, in history, but definitely you get a, a sense of like indomitable, indomitable will from almost both of them in the double. Like every time they race, you know, they're going to, they're going to be really, really quick. And, you know, there's no surprise that they were Olympic champions in 2000 and at the end of their career coming away with a bronze medal and perhaps one of the most famous races of all time. For sure. Um, yeah, I also liked uh, how much he's like done for rowing, you know, post his, his rowing career, you know, his, his work in rowing and, you know, he does a lot with Felipe and, and product development and I don't know, I think he's he's still got a lot to add to rowing. So I think we'll, we'll definitely maybe in a few years time have to have a catch up with him and see where, where he's at and, and what else he's done for for our sports. So yeah, awesome chat. I think it's a really great episode and I hope listening you enjoyed it just as much as we did um otherwise yeah have i hope you guys are having a great december um please look at your um at your instagram to make sure you get your voting in for the the Rosho awards of 2021 um or 2022 and then yeah enjoy i think we're good shout out to our patrons as always please share the show and if you go follow us on instagram please send us some messages and send some suggestions in for future episodes, which will go down on our lo- on our wish list, and we'll see what we can do about that. But yeah, thanks a lot, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you, everyone's having a great December. Yeah, and drive safe if you if you're traveling far, and train hard as usual.